You know, here in a couple of months or a couple of weeks, really, summer's going to be over. I know Tommy's already been talking to a lot of people about getting the choir back together. And the reason I'm saying this is because for some reason, more than ever before, I heard a lot of men's voices proclaiming the goodness of God through song. And when he asked for men to help, I expect to see this place full. Do you understand me? Guys, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Tommy. Um, Trying on things a little bit different this morning. Um, over the last couple of weeks, um, during my time of prayer, during my time with God, um, seeking God on where I need to be focusing my time and my attention here, um, one of the things that kept coming to my mind was um, my time not only in the Word, but my time expounding the Word to you. Um, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a lot of new things that are going to be taking place to help get the word in front of you. I know some of you at 7 o'clock this morning got an email of a load of scripture from me, um, and I want you to understand why I sent that. I sent that because I didn't want you to sit here for two hours in a sermon with me going through all that scripture. A lot of it I'm going to be uh, paraphrasing through, but I wanted you to be able to have it before you. Also, for those who do have our church app, yes, we do have an app. We have a new feature on our app. If you will open up your church app right now and go down to the portion where it says more, click on that and then click on notes, you will see the sermon notes or the sermon scripture notes for God versus culture. That is the sermon today. In that, you will see all the scripture. You will also have places to where you can Write your own notes in there. I've also linked it to YouVersion. I know a lot of you use the YouVersion Bible app, and I want you to be able to get to that app as quick as possible because I want you to have the Word in front of you. Also this week, as you noticed in front of you, all the pews now have Bibles in front of you. Um, one gracious, loving member found out what we were doing, and they found out that I needed more Bibles, and... Um, they have graciously provided the funds to pay for the remaining Bibles that are in the pews. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. If you don't, if you've got your phone, got your app, got whatever, I need you to open it up. You're going to be bouncing around a lot. You can even pull up the email that I sent to you this morning. The reason I want you to have this Bible in front of you or the app or the email, the reason I want you to have this in front of you is I want you to understand something. Today, I have to strictly go from God's Word. I can't go on my own opinion. I can't go on my own thoughts because guess what? I have thoughts. I have opinions. And guess what? A lot of them are wrong. You don't believe me? Ask my wife. She'll tell you how wrong I am on so many occasions. It's constantly. But a couple of weeks ago, we started a new sermon series talking about the hope in you, talking about Christian apologetics and being able to give a defense for the hope that is in you or a reason for the hope that is in you. And we are always to do this with two things in mind. What are those two things? You remember them? Gentleness and reverence. We don't do it just to make ourselves known. We don't do it to be spiteful. We don't do it to be hateful. We do it because we have the hope of Jesus Christ in us. And because we have that hope in us, we want to share it with the world. We want to share it with everyone. And we want people to have the same hope that we have. 
Last week we talked about, can we trust the Bible? Yes, we can trust the Bible. Yes, we have historical, we have logical, and we have substantial, authentic evidence to prove that the Bible that we have, regardless of the translation, regardless of the translation that you're using, we have all the evidence that we need to know that it is accurate. Not only with that, we finished up on one scripture in 2 Peter verses one, um, cha- or chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And it says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of the scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by <clears throat> an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The reason this is important is this lets us know that we can trust the Old Testament as well. But not only that, there's other scriptures that show us that we can trust the New Testament as well. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul also wrote in Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We have a copy of God's word. And it's a blessing that we have it. In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about other parts of the country to where the scripture is completely locked out. And we have the blessing of having a copy of his word in front of us to show us how we are to handle our lives in this world. But when Peter was writing this, in 2 Peter, when he was writing this, he wrote these last verses for a very specific reason. Because he wanted to give a warning of things that were to come. He wanted to give a warning of false teachers that would come. But he also wanted to give a warning to believers. The warning to believers, be careful what you hear. The warning to teachers, be careful what you say. But in 2 Peter, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he makes this very clear to all the readers. In verse 1, it starts off with, But false prophets also arose, arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master." Who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment with the, from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a, righteous preach, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world and of the ungodly, and he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot 
oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by, what, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day and night by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Pray with me. Father, first I just want to say how thankful I am to be able to be with my brothers and sisters this morning. I want to tell you how thankful I am, Lord, to have a copy of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for all those who are here with us, but also all those who are online as well. And this morning, Lord, you know my heart. I've been pouring it out to you all week. I want people to hear from your word, not from my opinions. Because, Lord, I do. I have a lot of corruption in me as well. And sometimes that corruption suppresses your truth. So, Father, this morning, I just pray that as we dig into your word, that you will help us see clearly your purpose for your creation. I pray that you would help us see clearly the deity of Jesus Christ himself. And I pray that you would help us see clearly, Lord, the wrongful deeds that we may, be, that we may have in our hearts, the wrongful attitudes that we may have in our hearts, the sinful desires that we may have in our hearts, and that you would help all of us, Lord, Come to repentance this morning through your word, through the gracious gift of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for entrusting me with this um, opportunity to proclaim your word. Now, Father, I just pray more than anything, let the people hear you. Don't let them hear me. Let the people hear you in their hearts, in their ears, in their minds. Let them be solidified, Lord, when it comes to the purpose of creation, and you in this world. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ever since the beginning, God's purpose for creation has been under attack. Many forms of his creation, angels, and even humans, from time to time have stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, rejected Him, and reviled the Word that He has put before them. This is a very dangerous thing to do. But Second Peter is very clear that this was happening during this time. Now remember when this was happening. This was right around the time of somewhere around 60 AD. So this isn't long after Christ has been crucified. And false teachers were already rising up, speaking against him. A lot of them were denouncing who Jesus was. They were denouncing his authority. They were denouncing his deity. They were denouncing his finished work on the cross. They were denouncing that he was God that he was actually a part of the triunion God. They were completely denouncing him because it allowed them to do what they freely wanted to do. Even in today's time, we're seeing this come about again. 
When people reject the truth, they get to invent their own truth for themselves. But what they don't understand is their truth is nothing more than a lie. And it's actually not from them. It's actually from the father of all liars. What's different today? Because things are a lot different today. What's different today is when we think of the word teacher, we normally think of someone who stands in front of a classroom, someone who stands behind a podium or a pulpit, someone who teaches because a teacher teaches. And most times, a teacher teaches by instruction, by lecture. What's so different today is with the technology that we have, everybody in this room, Everybody who is online right now has access to put out a blog, to put out a post, to put out a video, expounding or giving a lecture on your ideas or your views. And in a moment's notice of just sending submit, you have the ability to get that message out to hundreds, thousands, or even millions of people, anyone who watches. Do you know what this gives you the capability of being? A teacher. Anyone who listens to your video, anyone who reads your blog, anyone who reads your post can be influenced by what you say. And if we're not careful to give proper instruction, we can lead people astray very easily. This has only come about in the last 20 years, us having this access. And you know what gets me? Is I hear people tell me all the time, I'm no teacher. If you are a social, or if you are a keyboard warrior, you are a teacher. People are reading your posts, people are reading your blogs, people are reading whatever you put out there. And guess what they're doing from that? They're learning. They're learning. So when we think of a teacher today, we've got to understand something. That word means something completely different. So before you hit submit, you might want to read it out. I can't tell you how many times I've typed something out. And I always type it out in notes first. I always type it out in notes first because I'm afraid if I type it out on Facebook, I'll accidentally hit submit and I can't bring it back then. But I'll type it out in a note. I'll read it. Sometimes I'll even read it to my wife. And she'll say, you need to post that. But something deep inside of me says, no. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because it can be mistaken. It can be misused. And even beyond that, it could leave some astray. We've got to be very careful in today's time. Because more so than ever, the ability for false uh, teachers, preachers, and even pastors to be present is more so than ever. But a false teacher's aim, a false teacher's aim is simply this. Look at me. Everybody, look at me. Look at the knowledge that I have. Look at the wisdom that I've gained. Look at what I can teach you. But a godly teacher's aim will always be this. Look at God. Look at Jesus. Look at the Holy Spirit. Don't look at me because there's a good chance I will fail you. There's a good chance that I will let you down. There's a good chance that I will lead you astray. But God, 
The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. From the very beginning, Satan has been trying to undo, his, undo all this. The three illustrations that Peter, uh, Peter gives in 2 Peter is first, the angels that have fallen away. A lot of times we don't spend a lot of time with this because, you know, some people say, well, the Bible's silent about this. The Bible's not as silent about Lucifer. The Bible's not solid about his fall. In Ezekiel 28, verses 15 through 18, Isaiah 14, verses 12, Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9, all these scriptures come together and give us a very accurate portrayal of what took place when Lucifer fell from heaven. And not only did he fall from heaven, he took a third of the heavenly hosts with him. And when he did, they were cast down to earth. Jesus even says in Luke that he saw Satan fall from the sky to the earth like a bolt of lightning. The scripture is not silence on this. The scripture is very clear on this. But the scripture is also clear that ever since then, Lucifer has been the father of lies. And he has been trying to get as many people to buy into his lies so he can raise up more false teachers. So he can have an army of people who are trying to draw the people away from the truth of what God has for them in their life. This is scary. This scares me, guys, and I'm going to tell you why it scares me. Because I know many of you will listen to podcasts. I know many of you will listen to different preachers. And I just want to say this. That doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. It bothers me when you listen to certain ones. Not because they're a better preacher than I am. Not because they can expound on the word better than I can. But because of the lies that come from their mouth. Because there are a lot of people who proclaim to be a pastor, who proclaim to be a preacher, but don't even teach the truth of God's Word. That bothers me. There's teachers out there who will openly denounce that Jesus is who He says He was. I want you to read along with me real quick, because this is going to be very important as we move forward. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, we know that God spoke His creation into existence. This was the Word. We know that the Word was present with God. And we know that the Word was God from this one scripture. It goes on to say, he was the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has <clears throat> come into being. So what's this saying? It's saying that the word not only had an integral part of being present in the beginning, the word had an integral part of bringing about the beginning. That everything was created through him, for him, by him. That he wasn't absent from the scene. The word was there. It goes on to continue to say, In him was life. And life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. In the very first scripture of the Bible, it says in the beginning, God. It just says God. In the beginning, God. 
Whenever we think of God, a lot of times we think of one being. But if you read on further, you will see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, form, uh, was unformed and without, was void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. So we've got God and a Spirit that are present there at the same time. But then something else is said. And then he says, let there be light. And light entered the world. Why is that significant? Because this scripture is saying that in the beginning there was the word. In the beginning there was the spirit. And in the beginning they all come together to create everything that is in existence today. So who is this word? Who is this light? Who is this life? Jump on down to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he saw his glory. Glory as only of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Over the last couple of years, I'm hearing a lot of things that really disturb me. I'll hear people say, well, the Bible says this, but Jesus spoke nothing about that. Let me tell you the danger in this, guys. We read the scriptures at the very beginning that all scripture is inspired by who? God. We also know that Jesus came, manifested himself in flesh, and has always done that as God. He's not just a man. If he was just a man, then yes, he would just be confound to the New Testament. But Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus is God. He is God. Just as the Father is God, just as the Spirit is God. They all three exist together. They do not take away from each other. They build on each other. And this is something that a lot of people miss out on. Because when they say, well, the Bible says this, but Jesus said nothing about that, what they're actually doing is they're taken away from the deity of Christ. They're taken away from who Christ really is. That he was just a man. That he just come on the scene on 0 AD. That before that, the Old Testament, it stood alone. It stood alone. This has been something that has been deceived in people for many years. And even going back to the second example where he talks about Noah. Noah, everybody wants to know, well, who are the Nethophilim? Who are all this? You know what? Regardless of that, know this. That the world was completely lawless. Why were they lawless? Because they had rejected God. They had rejected his word. And they had rejected how he created them. So regardless of the situation that was going on, there's one thing you need to realize. Out of all the people who existed during the days of Noah, only eight, not seven and a half, eight. Is that better? Only eight were considered righteous. We talk about end times all the time. 
And people say, what's it going to be like at the end times? Well, Jesus said it's going to be just as in the days of Noah. There won't be many righteous among us. And I don't know how many people existed in the days of Noah, but I do know this, that only eight got on the ark. So only eight in the sight of God were seen as righteous. And God did not spare the rest. That's a harsh thing for us to grasp a hold of. Just like we were talking about this morning. How can a loving God do such as this? My question is, how can his recreation reject his loving kindness even after pouring his wrath out on his own son? How can you reject that? So I want to ask you a question. Because, believe it or not, a lot, of, a lot of people have been in church over many years don't know how to answer this question correctly. So when did Jesus come into being? When did Jesus come into being? Some, believe it or not, some people have been in church. We'll say, well, when he is birthed. When he is birthed. Well, there's a big problem with that. Because if that's the case, then he's not the word. If that's the case, he's not the light. And if that's the case, he's not God manifested in the flesh. Jesus, just like we've been talking about, has always existed. So when you say, knowing that Jesus is the word, when people say, well, the Bible speaks on this, but Jesus never said anything. Do you want to know the problem? Jesus is the one who inspired this. And if Jesus inspired it, then Jesus did speak it. Remember what I said. It was penned by man, right? Penned by man. But who was it authored by? God. And who is God? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what if I were to go one step further? What if I were to show you a manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Because a lot of people miss this in this scripture. A lot of people completely miss what Peter is saying here when he gives the third analogy. What's the third analogy he gives? Cities by the name of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Matthew, or in Genesis 18, you don't have to turn there. But I do want you to be aware of where it is. We come to a place to where we see Lot, our Abraham and a man by the name of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. They had gone out traveling, and this is a little bit of backstory. They had gone out traveling, and both of their herds had become so big, had become so big, listen to this, guys, that they come to a point where they had to split up. Lot had to go one way, Abraham had to go another. Abraham, being the good uncle that he was, you know what he did? He looked at his nephew Abraham, uh, Lot and said, Lot, you know what? You choose. You choose which land do you want. Do you want to go to the east or do you want to go to the west? Lot looked one way, looked desolate. Looked like there was nothing out there. Looked like it was not land that was fit for herding his sheep. 
Look to the other side, seen this beautiful, lush area. Perfect, perfect for allowing your sheep to graze, perfect for allowing your livestock to grow, perfect for farming, perfect for everything that he needed. Lot chose exactly how most of us would choose. He chose the other side. The grass was greener on the other side. What he didn't realize is on the other side, there was these two cities that he would inhabit. Sodom, and then just a few steps away, a town by the name of Gomorrah as well. Lot went on living his life. Abraham went off and lived his. One day, Abraham's sitting in his tent. And while he's in his tent, he sees three men. Three men coming his way. And when he sees one of them, he immediately recognizes who it is. And he says, Lord. The word that is used there is Jehovah. The word that is used there is also the same word, Yahweh, which translates to Yahshua, which is where we get Jesus. He doesn't say, Father. He says, Lord. Two other gentlemen are with him. At the first part of chapter 18, it really doesn't give much detail to who these other two gentlemen are. But what we do see is Abraham is so excited about these guests that have come to visit him that he runs in and he tells his wife to prepare cakes of flour, to prepare bread. He goes out to the field. He slaughters one of the animals. He goes and he gets curd and milk that he's already made from his animals and he puts all this food together and he puts it before these three men and the scripture is very detailed on what they did. It said, Abraham sit there as they ate. Why is this significant? This wasn't a figment of his imagination. This wasn't something that God was speaking to his head or to his heart or even through his ears. This was a physical manifestation of God himself. He ate, he drank, he spoke. When else do we see this in the scriptures? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is not the only time that Jesus manifests himself in the Old Testament. We just don't acknowledge that. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace, the guy looks in. He doesn't see three people. He sees how many? Four. And the fourth one looks like what? It's the Son of Man. The Son of Man meaning the Prince, the King, God. What gets me is people try to separate Jesus or want to take away the Old Testament because that's the law. That's God's wrath. That's God's judgment. But what you don't realize, if you take away the Old Testament, you take away Jesus. He was present. He manifested his self in the flesh. Anytime that God manifests himself in the flesh, it is a manifestation of Christ. There's other times that he's put himself before people and they couldn't even look at him. Remember when Moses went before the fiery bush? They talked. He couldn't even look on it. Why? Because it pained him. When Elijah's on the mountain, 
He couldn't even look at God. Why? Because he was, so glor- he was so holy and so glorious, if he were to look at him, he would be struck dead. Anytime an individual looks upon the Lord in the old scripture, he's looking upon a manifestation of God himself in the flesh. And the only manifestation that that's ever been has always been Jesus Christ. So why is this significant? After Abraham and the Lord had their little conversation about things to come in Abraham's life, the bringing about of his son, the three, who then we find out the other two are angels, stand up. And they start making their way towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord has a little conversation with the angels. So should I let him know? Should I let Abraham know what I'm about to do? Should I let Abraham know what I'm about to do to these two cities, especially since he's going to be the father of many nations, especially since he's going to usher in the coming of grace? Should I let him know that? What's funny is it really doesn't say whether he tells them or not, but it does say this, that Abraham knows what the Lord is about to do. The two angels make their way to Sodom. And the Lord stands there with Abraham. And Abraham looks at the Lord and says, God, if there are 50 righteous in Sodom, will you spare it? The Lord says, if there are 50 righteous, I'll spare it. Okay, okay, Lord, what if there are 45? If there are 45 there, will you spare it for the righteousness of those 45? The Lord says, if there are 45 there, you know what? They're good, I'll spare it. What about 40, Lord? If there are 40 righteous people there, will you spare these two cities? The Lord says, yes. If there are 40 righteous there, I'll spare it. What about 30? What about 30? If there are 30 righteous there, will you spare it? Yes, Abraham. If there are 30 there, I will spare it. What about 20? And I don't know if the Lord's getting upset with Abraham or something, but he says, for the sake of 20, I will spare it. And then he disappears. Remember the first time that God brought destruction upon the earth? Don't know how many people were there, but only eight were seen as righteous. I don't know what the population of these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were, but I imagine they were pretty, pretty substantial cities. Why? Because of the area where they were. And God could not find 20 righteous men in this area. When the two angels make their way to Sodom, Lot just so happens to be standing at the gate. And when he sees them at the gate, he begs them, please come, come to my house, shelter there, let me wash your feet, 
Let me prepare you food. And the two angels look at Lot and say, no, I think we're going to go stay on the city square. Lot knows his city. Lot knows what these people are capable of doing. And Lot begs the two to come to his house. Finally, they go to Lot's house. Once they enter the house, the door starts knocking. Lot opens the door. It says the men of the city were present at Lot's door. And they're petitioned to Lot, send these two men out that we may have relations with them. I'm going to keep it PG, parents, don't worry. Lot, knowing what the intention of these, two men, of these men were, says, men of Sodom, I have two daughters who have never had relations with a man. Please take them instead of these two. The men of Sodom replied, no. We want to know these men. Here's my issue with this, guys. Because people say that Jesus is solid on a lot of things. But the, con- the problem is the context in which they read them. When it comes to things of adultery, homosexuality, even marriage, Jesus has never been solid on them. When it comes to the topic of homosexuality, which we're hearing this a lot, well, the Bible, the Old Testament speaks a lot about it, but Jesus never said anything about it. Jesus appears before people as a fleshly manifestation of God, correct? Who's present with Abraham? Jesus. Who brings about the order to destroy the city? Jesus. Don't tell me Jesus is silent about these things. It's very clear in this story that he is not silent. It's very clear in this story that he has a righteous anger towards this. And if you really want to know why he has this righteous anger against this, is because he created us in the Majo day. Ladies, he created you absolutely beautiful. Do you hear me? He created you absolutely gorgeous. Men, he created you to be the man you are enough. You are enough to be the man that you need to be. And he created you in this image so that when y'all come together, men and women come together, they can procreate or multiply and fill the earth. This is a direct attack when we talk about things of adultery, when we talk about things of marriage, when we talk about things of homosexuality, because I am lumping them all together, guys. They're sexual sins. They're sexual sins. Yes, homosexuality is unique. It is unique. 
but they're sins. And you can't separate that. They're sins of the flesh. Even Second Peter said, those who are corrupt by the sinful desires of their flesh are the ones who will experience the judgment. Jesus is clear on this. His purpose for man and woman is to live together, to multiply, to fill the earth. These are not my words. These are the words of Him. He has made it clear. But you know what gets me? People say, but Scotty, why didn't Jesus ever say anything about this in the New Testament? Well, guess what? He did. And I'm glad you asked that. In Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon of the Mount, listen to what he says in verse 31 and 32. It is said that whoever sends away his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever demarries a divorced woman commits adultery. This guy, that's talking about divorce. That's not talking about homosexuality. The Bible is not gender neutral, people. He created man and woman. While we are equal, man, you need to hear me say this. We are equal. Christ has made us equal. We are still different. We have different responsibilities. A husband has the responsibility of being a protector. A husband has the responsibility of being a provider. A husband has the responsibility of being a disciplinarian. The wife has the responsibility of being a nurturer. You ever seen a, you ever seen a man nurture his children? You don't see it much. You want to know why? We're not made for that. Now, I'm not saying we don't love our boys. We don't love our girls. I'm not saying we don't grab them up. But isn't it amazing how naturally a mother can nurture a child? Think about it. When the husband gets on to a child, who does he run to? Mama. Mama. You want to know why? Not because daddy's mean. It's not because daddy's mean. It's because those are the roles that we were created in. Those have to be present for a family to function properly. And those can't be present in a homosexual relationship. Those can't be present in divorce. And I want y'all to hear me clear on this. I know many of you have experienced divorce. And I know many of your circumstances I know many of your circumstances are your spouse, which means opposite sex, by the way. Your spouse walked away from you. Your spouse chose someone else. Your spouse betrayed you. So don't think I'm harping on you. I know situations for divorce. 
I grew up in a divorced family. I grew up in a family where my father chose to walk out on us. I know the hardship that my mom went through that. And I do not want you to think that I'm talking down to anyone who's gone through a divorce. Because one thing you need to understand is regardless, there's forgiveness for whatever happens. And I know some of you did not even have a task or a hand in the divorce. I know some of you didn't even sign your divorce papers, but the the judge still said, granted. So please don't take it that I'm harping on anybody who's divorced. I'm not. But God's design is for a man and a woman to live together forever. Well, Scotty, where do you get that? Well, let's jump on to another teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, some people come to Jesus and they're wanting to argue with him about the subject of divorce. Talk to him a little bit about being uh, somebody being healed and this is what said when Jesus had finished these words he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and a large crowd followed him and he healed them there some Pharisees came to Jesus uh, testing him and asking him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all and he being Jesus said have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus says to them, Because of your hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. Is this talking about divorce? Yeah, it is. But I want you to understand something else. It's also talking about homosexuality. Well, Jesus said nothing about homosexuality. A man and a woman. These pronouns cannot be taken away. God's creation cannot be taken away. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. The world knows that this is wrong. The world knows this is wrong. But they follow the desires of their flesh. You want to know what gets me, though? Because I don't want you to just think I'm harping on the people who have the sin. Because now it's my turn to harp on us. You want to know what really gets me? And I want you to just think about it for a second. You ever noticed how we'll look at a divorced man or woman differently than we'll look at somebody who struggles? And I do mean this. 
who struggles with the sin of homosexuality? You ever notice that? Love and accepting to them. Sometimes it's not their fault. Harsh and rejectful to them because it's a choice. You know what I've learned in my short time on this earth? I still struggle with sins that I can't separate myself from. Don't look at me as a perfect being. I am a flawed man. I have no right to judge anyone on this earth because of the sin that is even in my life. The only thing that makes me different is God saw me in the middle of my stuff. He reached out of his hand and he pulled me out of that nastiness. I want to read it for you again in 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what he says right, right here. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by the lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. And a lot of us will say, but Scotty, their acts are not godly. Scotty, their reputation is not godly. Scotty, their life is not godly. But God can change that. God can change that. Do I hate the sin? Yes, I hate it. I hate everything about it. But not just that sin, all sin. And you know what I hate even more about it than anything? Is a lot of times I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. And I hate it. But God can change them. But you know what will happen? And I can promise you this. If we pull ourselves away from them, if we keep ourselves out of their life because of the sins that they may be committing, and I know you got to be careful. I get it. We got to be careful who we hang around with. But you got to be careful not to sin by not proclaiming the grace and love of Jesus Christ too. Because, yes, brothers and sisters, that is just equally as sin. Knowing the truth and not telling someone the truth, that's a sin. And a lot of times we're too good at telling the truth. But you know what we're not good at? What did it say there in John chapter 1 verse 14? That he was full of truth, but he is also full of what? Grace. You want to know, honestly... Why the church today has such a harsh view by so many. And a young lady hit on this very appropriately in Sunday school this morning. It's because we focused on truth. And we put grace to the side. You were once lost. You were once broken. You were once undone. You were once in need of salvation. And God reached his hand out to you. You say, Scotty, I'm different than them. I'm different than them. The only difference was your choice of sin.
because this is what I know. Anyone who dies lost and undone without Christ will spend eternity in the same place. Regardless if it's theft, regardless if it's murder, regardless if it's adultery, regardless if it's homosexuality. They'll all spend eternity in the same place. And you know what? That ought to break our heart. Because it broke Jesus' heart. It broke Jesus' heart to the point that he was willing to do something about it. He came at the right time. He had always existed. But he came at the right time. He preached, he teached, and he loved. And if you look at who Jesus loved them, it wasn't the righteous people that he loved them. It was the prostitutes. It was the thieving tax collectors. It was the adulterous people. That's who he loved on. And why did he love on them? Because the righteous people weren't. The righteous people were teaching their own works to make themselves right for God. But Jesus knew that not even their own works could get them to where they needed to be with God. So Jesus did the ultimate thing, and he died. He died. He died the death that we were supposed to die. He took the punishment that we were supposed to take. The wrath of God himself was poured out on Jesus Christ for anyone who would believe in him and trust in that, their sins would be forgiven. You know the difference between a lost and a saved man? A choice. A choice. And today, as long as there's breath in our lungs, that choice is still available to anyone we come in contact with. Tommy. The truth of God's word is never popular. But it is something that we've got to talk about. It's something we have to talk about because our culture wants to undo it. And I know some of you probably have lots of thoughts and views about the things that I have spoke on today. There's probably some things that you're wrestling with. There's probably some things that you're struggling with. And I'm glad you're here to struggle with them. But I can tell you this wholeheartedly, that Jesus is here and he wants to minister you through this time. Some of you may be dealing with things in your past, past regrets, past sin, past hurts. Again, Jesus is here and he wants to minister to you through this moment. Regardless of how this may have hit you this morning, I want you to allow God to deal with you right now like only he can do. Allow his spirit to minister to your heart. And if you need to come to the altar this morning, don't wait on him to start singing. Just come on. This morning, if you just need a little bit of time to pray where you are at and cry out to God, take that time. 
regardless however God is hitting you, please respond to him in whatever shape or form it is. Respond to him like he's calling you to do. As we stand, pray with me. Father, there's a lot of times that I don't have confidence in myself. But the one thing I do have confidence in is your word. I have the confidence in your word to know that you have given us as a guide for our life. And Father, it's funny how we will pick on certain things. We will grasp certain things, but we'll throw other things to the side. Father, I just pray that you would help us to hold to the whole truth, the whole counsel of your word. I pray that you would help me, Jerry, all our Sunday school teachers to always confidently preach and teach the whole counsel of your word. And Father, I just ask that you would do what only you can do during this time. Minister to your children like only you can. Father, I want to thank you for what you've given us in our word. And I just ask that you would use it to change us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Regardless of how God's leading you this morning, respond.